0: Welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Albstad, and featuring Seahawks sports writer
1: and football analyst, Keith Myers. Greetings, Hawk fans. Welcome in to another episode of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I am Keith Myers. Uh, Bill is out this week, and filling in for him is the one and only Dan Viennes of the Emerald City Sportscast. Welcome to the show, Dan.
0: Thanks, man. It's good to be back, and it's, uh, it's uh, it's fun to be on and get to talk about some Seahawks. I haven't done my own show in about four or five weeks, so I'm raring to go, man. Yeah, that means you've got
1: lots of uh, lots of thoughts and opinions all saved up for us. So let's um, <laughs> let's kind of just jump into it. This is a fun game. Um, you know, the first win in in what feels like you know about a year and a half. And okay, it hasn't been that long. It's been a month, but uh, it's been quite some time since they since they've they've won a game. And they came out and they they won this one pretty handily.
0: Yeah, and from the very beginning, it was just. Uh... It, regardless of how it, regardless of how the game was going to turn out, and this is something that i I think I've tried to do this season is is try to let go of the outcome a little bit and, and just enjoy week to week, but they've been playing such a boring brand of football for the last six weeks that this game right out of the gate, whether they won or lost, it was entertaining as heck and uh and we haven't seen enough of that, and maybe it's because they were three and eight and on the outside, looking in, in the playoff race. And and Pete even had some comments today about how, you know, this, this kind of felt like the kind of game to go for it, which we can dissect that later. But the <laughs> bottom line is maybe desperation is a good thing sometimes because from a fan's perspective, yesterday's game was a lot of fun to watch.
1: Well, it kind of just starts up right up on the, the second drive. I mean, the first two drives were both three and out. Um, and as I was telling you, you know, before we hit record, the, um, of the first six plays, four of them were wide receiver screens that went nowhere, um, which I thought was really weird play uh, play calling. But at least it was getting the hand getting the ball into the hands uh, of Metcalf and Lockett, and something that they've you know just haven't made that emphasis on. And then they came out and said, "No, we are going to get the hands into our 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 playmakers, even if it's not you know something that's going to work right away." And I think it paid off. But after that, you know, the second three and out to, to do the fake punt and have Travis Homer, you know, take that uh, almost the length of the field, uh, that was fun. And I was like, where has that been with Pete Carroll? He hasn't done that kind of stuff since, um, you know, 2011, 2012. That's just kind of gone from his repertoire ever since then.
0: Yeah, and there were so many layers to that play and that play call because uh, to hear it afterwards, Homer said that that's, that's an audible, that's a call that he had available to him if they had a six-man box on the on the punt coverage team and he saw it right off the bat. He said he didn't think it was going to happen that soon. Uh and so he called it. And and so not just the fake punt itself, but the fact that uh Pete Carroll and his coaching staff gave gave him that freedom to make that call is kind of un Pete Carroll-like. And and it, it it seems I think there's a bigger discussion here about how the better this team is, and and the more important the game is, and the more that's riding on each each game, the more he's going to tend to be conservative. And so right off the bat, it just sent a message that, you know, hey, anything can happen today. I think it was mm-hmm. an important message, not to the fans, to the 49ers. And, and, and you're talking about those first two drives, too. It was interesting. I kind of had flashbacks on that first drive. I thought I was back at Washington State University watching Dennis Erickson call... <laughs> call <laughs> a game because he would do that. And, 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 you know, a joke, but it's even though, like you said, you made the point that none of those plays went anywhere. They didn't really, they didn't really result in positive yardage. Um, but they set they kind of set things up for later. And I know they, you know, Waldron likes to script his plays. Erickson would do that a lot. He'd come out in the first, first drive. And he'd throw at least one wide receiver screen to the right sideline, one to the left sideline early on in his script, he would hit so many different areas of the field and really kind of a, you're testing the defense, but B you're sending the message right off the bat that like, look, you're going to have to defend the whole field against us. And I thought as far as getting guys involved, like you said, getting guys touches, because frankly, that's been my biggest complaint of what we've seen from Shane Waldron so far is not play calling. I think sometimes that tends to be the easy, lazy uh, analysis to fall back on, but it's personnel usage. In the NFL, which is a player-driven league and a star-driven league, it's not so much about the actual play you call. It's about getting guys involved and using their strengths and and and, and making the most of those. And, and I thought right off the bat, they sent that message, and then we continued to see it, and this was the important thing throughout the rest of the game. Yeah. I mean, that point you make was was um, early
1: in the year when the defense was really struggling. Um you know, coming off just going in, going into the first 49er game when the defense was just getting run over, um, Bill and I had that same conversation about you've got guys like Jamal Adams that have some tremendous skill sets if you use them, and instead they were playing him in an area that doesn't take advantage of his skills, and instead took it, made him kind of play to his weaknesses, which is you know being um, a deep safety and and trying to do that. And it's like, why are you why are you moving away from what your players do best? Um, and it felt like you're right. The offense had kind of been doing that a little bit the last couple of weeks, um, especially when you got a guy like DK Metcalf and it, it's not until the fourth quarter that he gets his first target. Yeah. Like that's absurd. Um, and so in this game for them to go out and, and play to their players' strengths, I thought was a, um, was a, you know, it was a nice thing to see. It was good. Good. To, good to see them get the ball to DK, get the ball to Lockett, it, um, you know, try some things and, uh, just kind of be more creative. It was it was definitely a, a more fun uh, brand of football to watch.
0: Yeah, and and even aside from that, they didn't get away from from their their, their intention to be balanced. They didn't get away from their plan, and we've seen that so, too many times this year. They'll come out in the first two series, the offense will be ineffective, couple three and outs, and then it just seemed like, especially the four weeks since Russ has been back they just kind of would scrap whatever game plan they had and just try to to find explosive plays down the field. Mm -hmm. In this game, even with Chris Carson out for the season, Alex Collins not playing in this game, Adrian Peterson showing up on Tuesday, Rashad Penny battling injuries again as he has all year long, a lot of uncertainty in the backfield. They stuck with the running game, even though it wasn't wildly successful. I think both those guys ran it. I think they had 21 carries between them and for for, f- for fifty one seventy yards. something. Yard, yeah. The, the, Penny the averaged two three and 51. a half and, and Peterson averaged 1.6 or seven. And yeah, but they stuck with it, it enough that it kept the 49ers, uh, you, you know, they had to respect the running game. At least it, yeah, I thought, kept, I thought since the opener. Yeah. And since the opener against Indy, which we all agree was, was the best offensive game they've had this year. If you don't count the Jaguars game, uh, I thought it was Shane Waldron's best performance and, and best execution of a game plan. And, and maybe we we saw for the first time kind of what he wants to do when the offense is a little bit more effective. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think that we kind of gets lost because people look at this and they go,
1: okay, well, you know, a, a one touchdown when the 49ers were down on like the three yard line at the end of the game, it could very easily could have gone the other way. Uh, you also have to take into account that you know, Everett had his probably his worst game as a pro, and with three three turnovers and That's brutal one of which led on the next play to a you know Jimmy Garoppolo touchdown pass, and the other yeah. two were coughed up on the goal line. Uh, I mean, just it's like twenty one point swing all on one player, just on him. Yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. This this game felt like more of a blowout than the end the score ended up being, which is kind of weird. And then especially when you look at Um, early in the game where, you know, the 49ers had a 17-7 lead at Mm -hmm. one point. And then after that, it was just all Seattle. Uh, Even with the turnovers and everything, it was all Seattle um, until that very last drive. But even then, they couldn't couldn't uh, punch it in. So it was kind of a, a good thing to see this team come out and just, you know, outplay a
0: team for a change. Yeah. And, and for all the, the positive signs that we think we've seen over the last four or five weeks, even with the offense struggling, but from the defense and, and this plays into how frustrating the season's been that once the defense got fixed, it's really been consistent against good teams. And this is another example. Niners Mm -hmm. came in here hot. You know, when we played them in week four, it wasn't a big surprise when we went down there and beat them. They hadn't really put some things together yet. And they had some injuries they were battling. They came in here hot. They won three straight, I think. And, and, and they were effective and they were using all their personnel and Garoppolo was playing well and the running game was effective. And that's the thing about the Niners is, is you talk about Shanahan and, and his, his capabilities as a play caller and as an offensive head coach. And it's not that he has a wide open, crazy passing game. It's, it's all built around the running game. Mm-hmm. And, and the Seahawks completely bottled that up. And that's been a consistent trait over the last three or four weeks. And, you know, we can talk later about the bigger picture and what that means moving forward. Cause this season is, you know what it is, but they found something there and, and that gives them a chance to win every game that they're in. And you look at the rest of the schedule now and, and there, I still tend to think that maybe what we saw yesterday, uh, that they might have difficulty repeating that. Like if we can see that offense again, the next few weeks, then, then maybe we're onto something, but that defense gives them a chance every week. And who would have thought we could even make that statement after, you know, week one, two, and three and everything that happened there. Well, one of the things that I thought was really interesting about that, the way the offense played,
1: um, I mean, it was really, it was really rough um, early in the game, a lot of sacks um, that, you know, the first two drives Russ was just getting crushed before he could even get to the top of his drop. Um, and then they made a couple changes. They benched um at least I was at the game, so I don't know if he got hurt or not, but from at the game, it seemed like they benched shell at right um tackle and brought in Stone Forsyth.
0: They said his his shoulder was acting up again, and they're 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 not sure uh, where that's at, yeah. Okay, because
1: that's um, from just from where we were. He didn't go down. There wasn't a problem. It was just all of a sudden. It's like he gave up a sack, and then the next series he wasn't in there. Um, yeah. And for and Forsythe was in there, and that really kind of. I mean, he didn't play like spectacularly, but it was he was much more steady. And then later in the game, uh, they they finally benched Fuller, which. I can't believe he was even out there playing given how bad he's been all year, but they finally benched him and they brought in Jake Curran, who's actually a tackle. Um, And he was playing at left guard, especially at the end of the game when they had that six minute drive and they marched down the field and um, ended up fumbling at the one with, you know, Everett, but uh, they just ate that entire like fourth quarter, uh, a huge chunk of it. It was with the two rookies on the, on the offensive line and suddenly they could run the ball and you know Russ had time, and and things started to click. And it's like, hey, well, they might be onto something with these, getting letting these kids play instead of running out these ineffective veterans.
0: Yeah, and I always I always like to get your thoughts on the offensive line because I I know that's an area that you really pay attention to and kind of your specialty. And and early on, I don't I don't think I actually tweeted it. I thought about tweeting it, but essentially my thought early in this game was if you have Ethan Posick and, and Kyle Fuller playing next to each other there, you don't have a chance. Like yeah. there was, it was so bad. As much as, as we all talked about you, Bill and I uh, earlier this season, how we thought that this might've been their best offensive line group. They've put together in the last few years after the trade for Gabe Jackson, like they were terrible. They they were mm-hmm. terrible. And, and on top oh, yeah. of that, then we can have a discussion about Dwayne Brown and what he has left in the tank and his struggles. And so that entire left side was just getting manhandled. And then, I was really encouraged to see Curran come in. Although I question like Phil Haynes was active. Was he not? Yeah. yeah, Wasn't he the superstar of training camp? What, weren't they raving about how great he looked in training camp? Anyway, well, they were, but at the same time, <laughs> he didn't make the initial
1: squad. He, yeah. Got, and they had to bring him yeah, back in the practice squad. Yeah. cut, went to the practice <laughs> squad. He's bounced, you know, back and forth. And so clearly, despite them raving about him, he wasn't right. that good. Um, but you know, getting Curran in there, um, I mean, he's a rookie. And yeah. he's a guy that uh, actually played really well in the preseason. He ha- has only played a few snaps over the course of the season. And they weren't great at right tackle, but at least, you know, he's only played like a handful of snaps. Um, but he came in, and he, he there were some plays where he was just mauling guys and just driving them off the ball. And that was great to see.
0: Yeah, and we talked about him a lot at the beginning of the season. I mean, he was a guy that they thought – played well enough that if they had exposed him to waivers, they wouldn't have gotten him back. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they protected him on the 53. And I thought that was a smart move because I, I I think there's a really good chance with Brandon shells contract up at the end of this year. And you can talk about shells performance. I think for the most part, he's passable at right tackle or serviceable might be a better word, but he he can't stay healthy. He's always nicked up. And I think, I think Jake current could be your starting right tackle Mm -hmm. uh, next year. So to see him in at guard was interesting and there were some plays And you said you hadn't done a full rewatch yet. When you do, you'll see this. There's a couple of plays he got blasted, not blasted physically straight on, but where some stunts and twists really got him. There was one where Eric Armstead kind of looped inside and just absolutely beat him and and blew up the play and it resulted in a sack. But pass protection, he was really good. It seemed like he's a guy that that seems to have really good vision and, and his head's always on a swivel. And he uses his hands to to hold guys off. He doesn't just overly commit and pick a guy to block and go that way. Um, So you might be right. There might be something there that sort of by default or by accident, we stumble onto that. And then Forsyth, if, you know, you know, the kind of the sick, twisted behind the scenes uh, Seahawk fan in me, I never wish injury on anybody, but I kind of hope he has to play this week because I really want to see, especially against a team like Houston, I yeah. really want to see what he can do because we all thought when he was drafted, you know, the scouting report on him was needs work as a run blocker, but could start today as a pass blocker in the NFL. Yep. And he he projects more on the left side. You know, we could be looking at you know there was a moment there where Kern and Forsyth were in the game at the same time. Those could be the bookends next year unless they invest in that position. So um, it's it's really fun to watch. And that's the weird part about a season like this is I want to see more stuff like that. I <laughs> really at this point, look, the odds of them making the playoffs and making a run are, are I think it, they improved literally from 2% to 3% with <laughs> with that win. <laughs> Saw that this morning and that, that that's the actual statistic on that. So at this point, I want to see I want to see guys. I want yeah. to see guys play and you know, that includes a, a running back that I want to see get some touches too, but that was fun to watch. That was a fun part of the game for me. Yeah. And so, you know, like I said, I have,
1: I haven't gone back and rewatched the game. I was at the game. You can only evaluate so much from, uh, from the 300 level. Um, yeah. but actually it was, I, I did notice we you know, when guys, when, when guys, you know, came out and that kind of stuff and when the guys came in and then the the success, the running game had after that. Um, but from where we were sitting, the, the, the better part I thought was just watching the way the routes developed because being able to, to, because I was kind of like behind the play um, when, you know, from the perspective of, uh, you know, the, in the fourth quarter as, as the Sax are going down. It, and so there's a lot of running plays. But when they had to throw it, just watching the way the spacing was. And I felt like this in this game, more so than in the last couple, they've done a better job of uh, forcing teams to defend the entire width of the field, not just. Hmm getting guys deep and pushing the safeties back, but also pulling the linebackers and the, um, the cornerbacks wide. And that just opened things up in the middle and allowed Penny, especially Penny um, there in the fourth quarter to, to have some, some opportunities to, to just run and and do his thing. So that was actually kind of cool to see them that they, they, that, felt like an adjustment after the last couple of weeks that really made teams defend it really made the 49ers
0: defend the width of the field, not just the depth. So that was kind of nice. It's interesting to hear you say that because I, that was, um, you know, that was one of the the real criticisms in the past of our offensive coordinators. There was the the mm-hmm. famous moment where, you know, Daryl Bevel was, was uh, criticized greatly for simplistic route concepts and archaic route concepts. And Doug Baldwin came out in his defense and, and and Schottenheimer, I think was faced similar criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I do see that from time to time. So it's interesting to, to hear you say that about what you saw in the game yesterday is, is we see more complex routes from Shane Waldron. I think more, um, you know, guys kind of, kind of faking uh, an, a slant and then stopping and kind of leaking back outside, things like that, um, especially against man coverage. And so that was fun. And then we talked about personnel usage And how they got Metcalf and Lockett involved. We finally saw D. Eskridge, be part of the game plan, and get involved and be out there every play. He had a touchdown, um, had a couple nice plays, three catches on three targets and a touchdown. Yeah, really looked like you could see just just a glimmer of why they drafted him and what he could look like. And Mm -hmm. and uh, and and that was fun to see. I think I I still hold out hope. I think he's I think he's a fun player. Oh, his skill set's going to be fun. It's really just unfortunate. He, you know, he had
1: that um, injury in training camp, and then yeah. he had that concussion, which just lingered for weeks and weeks. And he had to go see a specialist and and all of that. But to have him finally back and finally playing, you, he's fun. Like, yeah. is he does does he necessarily make the team significantly better at this yeah. point? I don't think so. Um, but he sh- certainly is fun. And at you know, you're four and eight. Give me all the yeah. fun I can get, yeah.
0: right? So yeah, and I think about him this way: we've seen moments where uh, you know all the attention's on Lockett and Metcalf, and we'll see Freddie Swain make a play. Mm-hmm. And now, if Eskridge can can take that role, that number three role, like he's so much more dynamic than Freddie Swain. And so, even if all you did was give him his touches, um, you know he's the kind of guy that you better not forget about him, or he's going to burn you. And and we're going to see we're going to see some explosive plays out of him. That touchdown was kind of. Uh, wasn't exactly consistent with what we've seen from him on tape and what his history is. And, and the reason they drafted him It was kind of a simple little in route and he just happened to be open and Russ kind of avoided the rush and hit him and he, and he dove into the end zone. He's more of the guy that, that takes the seven yard uh, in breaking route and, and, and takes it the distance mm-hmm. um, or puts a move on you and gets open deep and, and hits the home run. So um, I think, I think that's tip of the iceberg with him. Uh, but speaking of not seeing very much and, and, and uh, we have to talk about Rashad Penny, don't we? Do we? <laughs> I mean, I mean, 11 carries for 35 yards. Isn't like, uh, uh, I think yeah. that was it, but there yeah. were, there were signs. There were, there were glimpses for the first time mm-hmm. since maybe the game at Philly before he got hurt. There well, were signs. And also there
1: was that, that catch um, when he caught the ball kind of on a it wasn't quite a screen because he 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 went outside and then came back screen. in and yeah. yeah and then you know took it up and then cut it around and just outran guys to the outside on the far side yeah. of the field and and it's like hey there's that speed we remember from forever ago and all of yeah. that it's just where has that been for the last four years we just he can't get on the field he finally did it was nice to see him get in there so
0: yeah and it, it, there was another run in early I think it was maybe the second. Third drive, it was was maybe a seven-yard gain. It was a little toss to the outside. He beat the guy to the edge. He put a little move on a guy, and then he put his shoulder down and and gained another two yards on the sideline. And look, I've always, you know, I'm on record as saying that for all the criticism when the draft pick was made before he even saw the field as a Seahawk, I, I understood the logic of that pick at that time and what they were looking for. And I also really liked the college tape. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we saw those glimpses at, at LA in that one game at Philly in that other game, we we've seen those flashes. It's not like dude can't play in the NFL. He just can't stay healthy. Um, I don't know that it's a foregone conclusion that he's not a Seahawk in 2022, I, man, know, that's I, gonna that's gonna disappoint a lot of people. I know his Cause... contract's up, but he's not. What kind of market is he gonna have? You, <laughs> he's you know, not I can, gonna have one. If if he were to stay healthy these last six games and 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 do what he did yesterday and have some 70, 80 yard games in a couple of plays, I mean, if it doesn't cost him anything to bring him back, you know, mm-hmm. don't don't you think they're wanna, gonna gonna want to try one more time maybe to squeeze some of that some of that water out of that rock? Like like I, mean, I
1: don't. You, you kind of might as well if if, if you can sign him for a vet man. So if he. Mm-hmm. You know he gets hurt and doesn't play. You're not out anything. He just sits on on yeah, one IR deal. for the year. Um, but do you know the talent's there. That's the thing with him. The talent is there. It's it's
0: obviously there. He just has to stay healthy so they can use it. But then I'm not talking about him being the guy. Like if anyone's no. listening to this and they go, you know, whatever. But and I'm not even talking about you. If you want to fix this this team and I don't want to start this discussion yet, but if you want to fix this team for 2022, you know, Carol's already said, we're going to fix Chris Carson's neck. He's going to come back stronger than ever. You can't count either of those guys. No, you can still have to go out and acquire a guy like the guy. And then you hope that if Chris Carson comes back healthy, he can contribute in some way as a part-time player. But if you can bring Penny back for, like you said, the vet minimum on a one-year deal, maybe some incentives involved and mm-hmm. be your third guy, because he's he's also showing other parts of his game. Like he had a key block yesterday. He had a couple of really yeah. nice blitz
1: pickups. Yeah. That and was that, supposed to be a weakness in his game mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And then but he had a couple of
0: ones that were that were just stellar. Um and really mattered as far as the outcome of the game. You know, Pete talked about the impact that Adrian Peterson had this week just in the locker room, just his presence and and his. His, his awareness of where he is in his career right now and his ability or, or his willingness to share his experiences and, and his knowledge with other players. And I was so upset when I saw he was out there at the beginning. Like, how in the world can a guy walk in on a Wednesday that's 36 years old that clearly has lost two steps, not just the proverbial a uh step, and be your bell cow back to start again? I think they were trying to send a message because to see that Rashad Penny was healthy, that was the thing when he came in on the third drive, I think I was like, well, wait a minute, if he was healthy and mm-hmm. why wasn't he starting? I think, I think that was maybe his last message he's going to get. And, yeah. and he, he needs to respond now. If he, if he holds out any hope of coming back. Yeah.
1: I I'm with you on that. Like I was also, when he, when he started, I was like, I mean, seriously, you, you don't have other guys. Like uh, there's a guy in the practice squad Johnson, um, I wanted I I want to see him up. I want to see him get touched. I want to figure out what he's got. He looked good in the um uh, in the preseason. We know he's got fantastic hands. Um, so he's good at catching the ball out of the backfield. Yeah. Get him up here, get him some touches. This is a lost season. Why are you giving all these touches to a, a 36-year-old guy on a seventh team and and all of that? But you know, if it was if that was what was needed to to light a fire under Penny, if that's um if him coming, if Peterson coming in, um, just to be a stabilizing force and to give some confidence and everything to the other guys around him, and to say something to the defense or to the offensive line. Okay, yeah. go for it. But you you can't continue to run this out week after week after week for the rest of the season. That's I have no problem with them coming in and 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 doing this for a game <laughs> or two, and and having it be a learning experience for everyone. But yeah. if you're given the bulk of your running back snaps to Adrian Peterson for the rest of this year, I think there's a missed opportunity to go see what Johnson has um, to see if Penny's worth worth, you know, that even a veteran minimum deal for next yeah. year. Um, Cause I mean, Peterson, he's got all, you know, all that experience and everything, but it was pretty clear watching him run. He doesn't have much left. Like no. the, the tank, the tank's empty with him as a running back. So uh
0: Play, I'm all for playing the kids, play someone who's hungry. Well, and that's, that's what I referenced earlier was Josh Johnson. I, you know, I mm-hmm. obviously we love what we saw from him in the preseason and, and his 2019 college tape was outstanding. Like he might've been a day two pick. He he was really, really good his junior year. And, uh, or was it his sophomore year? I can't remember if he came out early or not, but, um, he looked really good. He fits the mold of a Seahawks, you know, running back and, and, uh, maybe he just hasn't shown anything. You know, because they've been willing to play young running backs before, especially when there's injuries. Um, But even, you know, D.J. Dallas, you know, like Mm -hmm. it just it's a good thing they won that game because if they had lost that game. Especially if they had looked on offense the way they've looked for the last four weeks, that would have been my that's what I would have been screaming about today. Why the hell was a guy who's clearly washed up? the Titans gave up, gave up on them after three weeks and they have a much healthier running game than we do and a much better offensive line. Yeah. Um, and, and they lost,
1: uh, you know, their superstar running back and, yeah. you know, Derek Henry and
0: they were like, yeah, we don't need, we don't need Peterson. Oh, but guess what? After they cut him, they have played their two young guys that none of us have ever heard of that were yep. all unsigned rookies and they've looked really effective. And so mm-hmm. I would, yeah, you're right. And, and, and again, part of me they they're not going to make they're not going to make a run out of this season. You know, the whole let's go 5 and 0 to finish and and finish 9 and 8 sneak in the glass. That's fun to think about, but does anyone really think that's going to amount to much? Man, I, almost, I don't see I, I still don't see them beating the Rams. I just, no. I mean, I mean come no, no, on, no. right? <laughs> and and honestly, the way that they've played on offense, are any of us confident enough that yesterday was so good that we can be that confident that they're going to sweep the lions and bears at home. Like they should they better, (laughs) but, but I'm not putting my hard earned money on it. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, especially with the elements and everything else, but it's, uh, I I would like to see some of the young running backs play. Absolutely.
1: I would, I I would really like to see them, um, you know, pick up lions, bears, Texans. Um, they, they need to win those three just straight up the, the other two, the, the Rams and, and, and 40, or sorry, the Rams and, and And um, Cardinals, Cardinals, uh, you know, we'll see
0: what happens in those two, but they better go get those against the bad teams. Well, and here's the thing. And that's why, you know, whether or not there's any outside chance, and apparently there's a 3% one of them making the playoffs. (laughs) That's what the stat guys say. uh, It's going to come down to that game, you know, at the Rams, but Mm -hmm. because I think the Cardinals by weeks, 18, going to have everything locked up. They might. And then right? you're not going to be, backups. you're not going to be facing Kyler Murray. You're not going to be facing James Conner. You're, yeah. So we'll see. I, well, they And they, then and then the question becomes without
1: without Kyler right. Murray and without Nuke Hopkins, they, you know, Seattle uh, got the score
0: ran up on them um,
1: against that team anyway. So it's for
0: whatever reason, <laughs> though, we play better down there than we do against them at home. I don't know what that is, but no, I don't know. Um, but then that, that begs the question this, so let's say they go four, four and one down the stretch, right? There's five games left. Yeah. Uh, and they, so then they would finish eight and eight, nine. Not, oh, the new math is so weird. I'm still not used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, does everything stay status quo? There was the report this week on uh pro football talk that Jody Allen, uh, who we, we haven't gotten any feel for. Since yeah, she yeah. took over for Paul Allen after he passed away, of how involved she is, uh, you know how upset she is about this season. There was a report that she's not happy, that she's very involved, and that she doesn't think it's a one-year blip on the radar. That there are issues with this team that extend beyond just one bad season. Hmm. If they go four and one to finish, does everything just stay status quo?
1: I don't know. Um, I I don't think it can. I mean, I, th- I think because you 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 look at your your superstar quarterback, and and he's been playing pretty poor until um, until this week's game. You know, he the last since coming back from his injury, he's been a big part of the problem. He's he has not played well, um, but he's also getting getting pressured just before he can even finish his drop. Um, he's getting the ball out quick, and it's still not mattering because he's still getting hit. Uh, yeah. And at some point, he's gonna either he's gonna either like okay, we change a bunch of stuff or I'm out because I think he, we kind of saw that at the beginning of it um, this last year, he is not going to sit back and wait this out and think that it's going to work. So either they fixed it, which they didn't even with the Gabe Jackson trade um, or he's going to want changes. And if they're not willing to make those changes, he's going to be the change. And um, at that point you're in a rebuild. There's nothing on this team Um, that you can build around except for maybe DK Metcalf. And so you are, you're in a complete rebuild. And at that point you might as well, you might as well uh, rebuild the coaching staff and everything and just start over because you got a 70 year old coach will be 71 next year. Do you really want to start a rebuild with a 71 year old coach?
0: It's there's so many moving parts to it. And obviously the record on the field this year is, has sparked some of this conversation you and I and Bill had the conversation many times at the beginning of the year. And I know we talked about it on our pregame show or preseason show that, uh, they thought that the Carol Wilson, uh, we thought that relationship could be fixed long-term, but mm-hmm. if things went off the rails this season, it was all going to blow up and get ugly. Well, yeah, things have kind of gone off the rail. <laughs> so it, it, it's look, I, I never I've given up trying to figure out what Pete Carroll is thinking. I, I honestly think he might believe, truly believe that he can coach till he's 80. And I did think that earlier this year, even just a couple of weeks ago when things were really bad, I thought his tone was different, I thought his body language was different. He seemed tired. He didn't sound to me like a guy that would be interested in going through another rebuild. Uh, especially given that if if he does think he has 4 or 5 years left in him, that that also Gives him the opportunity to pursue some another challenge if he doesn't think this is the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, but God dang it! Yesterday was so fun and listening to him, seeing the the speech he gave in the in the locker room at the end. Listening to his coach's show today, oh, he sounds like old Pete. He sounds energized again, and I could see that going either way. He might he might say, "Hey, if if you're thinking about trading Russell Wilson." First of all, Buck stops with me. I decide whether that happens or not. Second of all, I don't want to go through that again and try and find another quarterback. Or I could see him saying, Yeah, that's that's that sounds exciting. Let's let's try it one more time. Let's try rebuilding this one more time. So I can't figure him out. Same with Russ. Yeah. You know, he gave we talked about his his reported list, how accurate that might have been last year. Pretty much those teams have all made changes now that that wouldn't jive with what he was looking for so i don't know that there are any matches if he were to want to demand a trade i don't know that there are matches i'm i'm more inclined now than i was four weeks ago to think they might just run this thing back one more time thinking sure we don't have a first round pick but we have a second and some extra mid-round picks we can add talent Salary cap was just announced as, or it was reported that it's going to be announced in the next couple of days at 28, eight or two Oh eight, eight. So that's about a $26 million. Break. There's going to be cash. Space. Mm-hmm. There's going to be flexibility. Hey, it was just a one year thing. Russ was hurt for three games. We lost some close games. You know what I mean? See where I'm going with this. They can make a case that it's worth trying one more time. Yeah. I mean, and
1: I mean, the reports of Jody Allen being unhappy and thinking that this isn't just a one year blip and all of that. I mean, that's interesting. But at the same time, Pete's been, this has been the best era of Seahawk football by far, right? right. This is a team that had, that has never had back to back 10 win seasons until Pete Carroll. And the one year they were nine and seven, he was so upset he fired his whole coaching staff and started over. <laughs> like, um, you know that that gives you kind of the idea. Like it's it's just a thing. I think at this point, after one bad year, I mean they won twelve games last year. So after one bad year, mm-hmm. he's gone if he decides to go. I don't think it, I don't think that he's on any kind of hot seat or anything like that. Um, two bad years in a row. Okay, then we might be talking. But yeah. one off off year off year. I, sorry, I know people are are not going to like to hear that, but I think he only goes if he wants to.
0: I th- yeah, I think one off year energizes that dude more than anything else and and uh, makes him want to work even harder. the mm-hmm. only the, here's the caveat in in my opinion, the only thing that might cause significant change because that Jody Allen report to me it didn't have a lot of teeth to it, didn't have a lot of substance. There were no unnamed sources that were quoted on the record. It was a lot of kind of general mm-hmm. conjecture and speculation now it's Mike for, Florio for you, right? Uh, in the middle of a, in the middle of a four game losing streak, when people are upset, so if because I do feel like in the last few weeks in his post game comments, even with the finger being an, an an easy excuse, I feel like Carol has been much more willing in the last few weeks to throw Russ under the bus a little bit and say, "Hey, he should have looked for this. He didn't see this. He should have been better about this." If Pete himself at the end of the season feels like, Hey, maybe it's time to pursue another answer at quarterback. Then that's where the change would come from. That's where it'd come from. I, and I don't know. I, I can't predict that because that, that relationship is so complicated. There Mm -hmm. are times when you listen to Pete talk and you think he's not happy with Ross. And so, you know, I may, a lot of this might it might it might it could all boil down to the exit interview at the end of the year, right? What I wouldn't give to be a fly on the wall when Russ comes into his office at the end of the year before going home or to San Diego wherever he goes in the off season and, and listen to what Pete says to him. Cuz if he says if he looks Russ in the eye and says you need to get better, then I think Russ is going to call his agent right away.
1: Yeah, I I could see that too.
0: Um I mean
1: the other thing is, if he looks Russ in the eye and says, you need to get better, Russ calls his agent and says, I don't want to deal with this, does Jody Allen step in and be like, okay, if this isn't going to work, we're going to side with Russ? Yeah, we don't know. I, I mean, that's, that's what, 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 what I would be interested in. Bill brought up uh, this a, a week ago. Uh, one of the teams that that has you know been talked about as a potential landing spot if, if Russ got traded would be the Jets and that if they could get hmm. Z- Zach Wilson and <laughs> what is currently the number four and six pick in the draft. Right, get our um, pick back to become a our dra- draft day. Yeah, get, get our pick back and... <laughs> get and Sonny Weaver on the phone. So you'd have two two top ten picks and a yeah. guy in Zach Wilson that at least a year ago everyone thought had the talent to, um, you know, to, to play in this league. Um, would that be
0: enticing? And I was just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not enough, but I mean, um, yeah, it just doesn't make sense from the jet standpoint. Like you're starting over with a rookie head coach and yeah. they have so many needs, so many, if they were a quarterback away, you know, mm-hmm. and that's why the, the teams that made sense last year don't make sense anymore. You know, Miami made sense, but two is playing really well. Two is playing And really well. Um, Philly doesn't make sense. Like I think they believe in Jalen hurts and, Uh, The one team that I I think we all agree that Russ that was on the list last year or one of the two that was reported that would make all the sense in the world is New Orleans. I think Sean Payton might be the perfect coach for him. I think he would he is stated or through his, you know, channels or whatever. In those reports, we heard that he wanted he was intrigued by the idea of playing for Sean Payton. But the Saints are have no cap flexibility. Yeah. And so, you know, for them to make it happen, they'd have to get rid of so many guys that they would ultimately make the destination less less interesting mm-hmm. to Russ. So other, I don't think the other one. I just be, don't think there's an easy one. The Giants. Maybe the other one would be Denver. Actually, I've heard that uh, because
1: they've got the defense. Um, you know, they're they're doing all right with Teddy Bridgewater, and you know, Russ would be a massive upgrade there. They've got a running yeah. game, like. They've got great skill position guys.
0: Great I mean, skill position weapons.
1: If, if he was willing to go play, and you know if, the, if that was added to his list, you know they could they could want that, but they don't have what Seattle would need to pry.
0: Uh, no, list, and so. and even and he would probably I could see the appeal, even though John Elway doesn't doesn't run the day to day operations there anymore. He's still involved, and I can mm-hmm. see that. You know him being a recruiter, but yeah, that, it that just doesn't seem like a match. So. I don't know because, and we're going to go, oh man, we're going to go through this for the next eight months. So many times because it's, it is pretty easy to talk yourself into thinking why the Seahawks would consider it because after this next off season, does he have three years left on his deal or just two? He's got three. Okay. So maybe, okay, maybe not. I was going to say after this, this next off season, his, his, his value might be higher than it ever is going to be, mm-hmm. um, because once you get to where you only have a year left on your deal, um, you're not going to get as much in return. But I, I, I think, I think yesterday's game was significant in, in that it showed that the guys are still playing hard. Uh, the coaches are are putting good game plans together. They beat a quality opponent, and and kind of beat them in all three three phases of the game. I think they're going to play well enough the rest of this year that it's. It's gonna make an easy decision to to just kind of bring everything back again next year. Yeah, so that makes sense.
1: So, um, you know, before we go off here, why don't you go ahead and um, tell everyone where they can find you, plug your show, all of that stuff.
0: So it's the Emerald City Sportscast. You can find it on all the the podcast platforms, Spotify and and Apple, iTunes or whatever it's called now on Apple and Stitcher and and Podbean and all those. Um, and I I will get back into it. I've been on hiatus the last five weeks or so. Um, work's been kicking my butt, but I also caught that non COVID thing, uh, that's been going around that, that wrecked my voice and, and made me sick for about a month. So, uh, uh, but there's, because of that, there's a lot to talk about. And, and on that show, I don't just focus on the Seahawks, talk about the Mariners, even though they're in a the lockout right now, there's lots to talk about and some movement that was made, uh, by them, uh, some coaching moves with the Huskies and Cougs and, uh, throughout the PAC 12, including today down in Oregon. So. Uh, we'll be touching on a lot of that stuff. And uh, and then as soon as we get into the offseason, it'll be time to have you and Bill back on, and we'll start to talk about all this stuff in greater detail. So uh, on Twitter, I am Seahawks SeahawksForever. Uh, you can follow me there as well. And on YouTube, just look for the Emerald City Sportscast. All the shows end up there and um, and some other bonus content as well.
1: Cool. And so... Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Myers NFL. Bill, who's not here, but we'll be back soon, um, is at NWC-Hack. The show is at Hawks Playbook. You can find us at CXPlaybook.com and on every sports uh, podcast uh, app. That's everybody out there. Um, and with that, until next time, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Thanks for listening to the Hawks Playbook podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes
0: or Blog Talk Radio and listen to all of our shows on hawksplaybook.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Hawks Playbook. Bill is at NWC
1: Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL.